Hi, this is Andy Brewer with the Northwest AHEC Healthcare Insights Podcast. Today I have as my guest, Keith Steyerwalt, who is a physician assistant, among other things. Yeah. Welcome, Keith. Thank you very much. Well, why don't we start out? Just give me an overview of um, what you do and how you got there and, and um, your, your, your mission and purpose and all that good stuff. Well, how, how many hours do we have? <laughs> as I, long as you a want. Very circuitous route to get where I am here. I actually uh, started off uh, coming here to go to PA school some uh, in, in the 1980s, not the 1880s, as it might look. <laughs> and uh, with the original intent, which I, as I did, to go back and get an MBA as well. Uh, one of the things that I'd run into during my undergraduate years was physicians who uh, complained about administrators and administrators who complained about physicians. And so I thought I was going to be the peace child and pull those two areas together. Uh, it was It was not to be, but I ended up working as a PA in, in family practice, and eventually went into occupational medicine, which turned into a specialty, and then a lot of administrative medicine. And uh, after almost 16 years, decided to uh, give up all that power and money for the high-paying world of going back into the ministry. Mm-hmm. So I went back to divinity school here at Wake Forest University, because they needed more of my money, I guess. And, <laughs> and uh did that with the intent of actually going back into administrative medicine and back into occupational medicine, which mm-hmm. I felt these were things that I was pretty good at. Mm-hmm. But uh, things often have a way of, uh, of going off the rails, so to speak. And I actually started talking to some people as I was studying bioethics about chaplaincy, which didn't appeal to me whatsoever. I couldn't figure out who in the world, their right mind would want to do chaplaincy. <laughs> And so I ended up, next thing I knew, I was a chaplain intern. And as I finished divinity school, I started chaplain residency here at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center, one of the oldest programs, by the way, in the Southeast. And uh, it only took a few months for me to decide that, you know, you'd have to be crazy to do a second year of residency in chaplaincy. And so then I did my second year of chaplain residency here at Wake Forest. And as the as the old joke goes, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I actually ran out of road and ended up uh, in a church environment for about three years. It turns out I'm not a, a great church minister. I missed my sick people. I would drive by here every day going to work wondering what was going on at Baptist Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I had started working in the hospital back when I was doing undergraduate uh, in, in Chattanooga. And so medicine is just part of who I am mm-hmm. and was lucky enough to be asked to come back to help work on conversations around serious illness and end of life. Mm-hmm. And that has grown. Yeah. So these days I stay busy in a variety of ways. I am a chaplain here with the Division of Faith Health, and we can talk about that if we have a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also the chair of the Bioethics Policy Subcommittee. There are nerdier groups in the world, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, you'll have to search pretty hard. I'm not the only bow tie wearer at the table. Um, I'm, my official title is Program Director for Faith Health Clinical Medicine. So I serve as the primary liaison between the worlds of clinical medicine and the work of faith health which is working with faith communities to try to improve the health of, uh, of our individual patients and patients as a whole. Mm-hmm. And then I spend a day a week working, uh, helping to, with another group of people teaching at the medical school in a class called Medicine and Patients in Society. And so that's the entire first year of medical school and then for half of the second year. And we incorporate ethics and cultural sensitivity and no big surprise, 
my, my, my greatest passion, which is teaching about the intersection of spirituality and health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> quite a dovetail there. Um, yeah, that, that last class, what did you call it? it was, Medicine and Patients in Society. Yeah, that's kind of like this podcast. It yeah. kind of covers just about anything related, you know, starting with healthcare and then branch out. Yeah, I'm suspicious sometimes that if something doesn't fit into any other med school curriculum, it ends up in the math <laughs> class. <laughs> well, um, so tell me about, let's talk about faith health for a little bit. Um, what is the footprint of faith health? I mean, we, Northwest AX is a 17-county region here in the Northwest area, and we, I know we've done some projects tangentially with, with you guys and just wanted to kind of understand more about faith health. I know it, you know, I could give you the 80,000-foot view, but if we could drill down a little further sure. than that. Well, faith health actually focuses primarily on a lot of the same counties that you're talking about. And so we, we accomplish our work in many different ways. Um, we have connectors in the community who may act on behalf of a large denomination or a large church group or a community group who act as our our liaisons into the community, both to find out what the needs are, Mm -hmm. uh, but also to help us. It's amazing how many patients that we have who don't have basic transportation back Mm -hmm. and forth. And talk about a real effect of someone's health. As, As one of the ER docs told me, he will see patients with the burn, tell them to get it checked every two days and invariably see this patient back in two weeks with Within. the burn having turned into an infection. And now now there's someone who has to be admitted. Mm-hmm. So we realize that transportation, while it, it may look like something very peripheral to medicine, is key to our patient's ability to follow through. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are financial aspects as well, obviously. And so our, we have folks who actually try to help people gain enough money to get that prescription. Mm-hmm. What may seem like a minor cost to those of us who are, are fortunate to have jobs with good benefits, a $20 copay on insurance may be a, a buster for mm-hmm. people. You know, we're also finding out, obviously, as uh, unfortunately, as the opiate uh, epidemic has taken hold, we often have grandparents taking care of their grandkids. Mm-hmm. These things are not budgeted. So they will give up on their own medicines. They will forego taking medicines so that their grandparent, grandchildren, excuse me, can have food and clothing mm. and take care of them. So it is, it is cultural. It is using those centers of faith. And it is also an attempt to realize that being in community is a positive aspect of health. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so. I mean, I, I, on this podcast, we've been focused kind of on the social determinants of health, which you know, transportation yeah. is a huge one of those. And last episode we had, um, you know, the housing was the main focus. And, yeah. and so all those things together. And, and I want to dive deeper in this notion of, of the community, what that means and how important faith is, because I think for a lot of communities that have lost manufacturing base and, and jobs are hard to come by and, and then all the – uh, economic spirals downward that happens after that, you know, your education system suffers. And really the church is still like the cornerstone of many, many communities. And, and, um, so I think that that is, is a great place, especially in, um, less fortunate communities or, uh, underrepresented or, or however you want to put it. Um, I think that's just a great position to, uh, f- to 
preach the the word of of being healthy yes. and, and, and in that environment. So how how does that um, you know what's the segue that you use to to go in to I mean you're going into a community of faith a, a church or or an organization. Um, and then what's your message? So the, actually the first thing that we try to do is to listen and, and to listen to the community and the faith leader. Of course, we work with lots of different denominations and lots of different faiths, but to hear from them what the, what they they think the problems are, what the issues are. Mm-hmm. And it's going to vary. You know, I, I read just recently that rural poverty, that the, the big, you know, four or five chronic diseases are much more poorly controlled in rural areas of North Carolina than they are in the in the urban poor, uh, and it's part of it's because of access. So access is is a, a big part that we talked about, and I also want to circle back to the connectivity being important because uh, we we continue to be uh, amazed, and that's in a negative sense, at how many people lack any form of family connection or support system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, frequently it, our seniors, that's one of the, you know, one of the places that my, my heart reaches out to seniors who have asked people, even in their own, uh, their own faith community for help with rides. Eventually they get embarrassed or eventually they've, they've asked one too many times. Mm. There's a loneliness that comes out of this that I think, you know, poorly reflects on, on health. So again, we, we try to uh, start off, in fact, the very first thing that Gary Gunderson and the Faith Health folks did was to go out in the community and take a look at what they observed, but also to hear back, mm-hmm. what is it you think the, the, the needs are? Mm-hmm. So while it's, uh, uh, you know, stereotypically, we look at disease screening, you know, things that are straight along the clinical model, ours is a little bit more uh, from the opposite direction, and, and that is... Again, what is it you see going on in your community? How can we help your people get to the doctor? What are their needs? Mm-hmm. Is there a doctor available? Mm-hmm. You know, one of I, uh, one of the free clinics that I frequently talk with on the phone, they've reported to me that they have a patient who walks almost five miles to get to their clinic mm-hmm. because they're unable to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, public transportation is is its own issue here in Winston Salem. But when you go way out in Yadkin County, yeah. there there is no bus system. Yeah. Period to, to get you you know actually to the clinic. Yeah. Um, I'm working right now with patients occasionally who have needs but are not quite sure how to get into our system, mm-hmm. and so we'll work with those free clinics. Not as much with individual patients, but free clinics will contact us and say, "We need assistance here. This person doesn't have the means." Can we can we find them something? And by the way, frequently we have uh, not free, we, but we have a financial counselor who's now embedded in our office, and so we can connect these people with our financial counselor. And frequently, she's able to find funds, our sources for for care that they weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just connecting. I think that word connection is very important. Um, you know, the, the, I've heard it been said, and I've said many times on this. I guess is the opposite of addiction is social connection. Ah. It's not, you know, that's yeah. the, and, and, and what is that? If you unpack that, that's the, uh, you know, community, the, the connectedness with others, the, the sense of, 
being a part of something bigger than yourself. And I think that kind of is a good segue to the faith part, because I think, you know, a lot of people, especially, well, what I hear about younger people, the millennials and iGen, you know, it's just, it's become a, a, a much more secular-based society. And then where that leads to, I see, or at least I feel as of late, that um, to scoff at, faith-based things and to and instead they latch on to ideologies like political ideologies and that becomes their tribe or their you know their their congregation if you will and i I just and that gets toxic at times real easy whereas in the faith-based communities you you really you know you're coming from a place of love and and reaching out to help one another so um i think that that's that's important and and just wanted to say one other thing you know the topic last week was housing and how many homeless um it's not you know some of them are just had a bad experience but something bad happened and they just couldn't pay their rent and ended up but a lot of people are homeless because they've burned all their connections with with families support and then they have mental health issues or just don't or maybe even just too proud to ask for help and one of the things you may may or may not be aware of, and that is that we now have, well, there's some innovative things that we're doing, we now have a chaplain who focuses on the homeless population. Mm-hmm. And his, talk about connectivity, his ability to connect with shelters, more permanent uh, methods of housing, um, just to know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's one of the consistent things about uh, our desire for connection for our patients um, is sometimes impeded by our lack of, of being able to connect. And mm-hmm. so uh, Lenny Burrison, who's our chaplain for, uh, for the homeless, does this really great work. He knows uh, who knows who to ask the question to. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's amazing how often that's part of it. Yeah, the power of conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I was going to ask you, you've been in this um, – in Baptist Hospital for a long time, in and out, and you've, you're teaching and you work with students. Have you noticed a trend over the years? I mean, it, it's the students of today, uh-huh. how much faith, you know, I mean, this is Baptist Hospital and Wake Forest School of Medicine and all that. Um, you know, I just wondered, is, is there an aspect of that that attracts students, or is that not even a concern, or... or I'm trying to phrase the question coherently here. I guess just how much... How how have you seen faith evolved over the years? And you know, contrasting students of twenty years ago or further, and and in today. I think one of the things that I'm observing, and it's certainly borne out by the what we see in the Pew trusts. Um, you know, every every week they have what appear to be pretty dire predictions about religion in general. Although um, I think uh, looking at the numbers closely, I'm, I'm uh, don't think it's quite as dire as they say is that you know frequently we're now in areas where people are second generation unchurched unsynagogued unmosked so that they they may have a cultural component of religion but but have not been in a more of a, a practice mode if you excuse that term mm-hmm. my the, the most fun I have, and by the way, the joke I make is I pretend to teach and they pretend to learn <laughs> is that uh, in, in working with the medical students but also with my the PA students, is to teach this class on spirituality and health. And what that is about kind of encompasses the hopefully the answer to your question, and that is that we treat faith as a much bigger scope as we used to. Um, 
but it's a little bit more of a foreign concept for some of our students to understand how a patient's faith comes into play in the clinical space. And so that's my favorite thing about, about talking and, and teaching, and that is to help them understand that unless they understand the patient's spiritual views and how it affects how they receive and perceive their state of health, if they can't do that, they don't understand their patient. Mm-hmm. Because for most of our patients, uh, you know, above the age of 40, and again, I'm using a rough guideline, uh, spirituality is a, is a very important part of who they are and how they see their health. Having said that, spirituality I also see existing way down into the 20s. We may just call it different things, as you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. It's very important, I think, for our clinicians of all, uh, of all disciplines to understand that the person across from you isn't just a body, but is a spiritual body. And mm-hmm. those things inform each other. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I think it's important that they get back into, they meeting the students, all of us who are clinicians, get back in touch with who we are as spiritual bodies as well mm-hmm. and realize that that comes to the table. Mm-hmm. So whereas it's easier sometimes for students to accept, oh, that's what they believe and I will adopt how I talk, uh, to the patient, mm-hmm. it's a little harder when to help people be self-reflective and say, how is it that my upbringing, uh, whether it's cultural, whether it's actually practicing, how does that affect how I see illness? Mm-hmm. And so that's the fun space. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also it's got to affect the attitude or, or at least just yeah. the 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 light they bring into the room when they come in to see a patient. I mean, and I, I guess where I'm going with it is that I see that uh, – you know, it seems like the younger generations, uh, because it's become more of a materialistic, secular, uh, you know, you find your tribe in more of your identity groups, you know, immutable characteristics, your gender, your sexuality, your political leanings. And I think what I've what I noticed and, and I, you know, it's, it's happened in my life where you go from. A kid and you're absorbing all this knowledge and you go to college and you're learning, you know, you're challenged on your beliefs and you learn new things that seem to sound right or fit and you go along with it and you become a, an activist for some point of view. And then as you age, you start or you get, you know, a few more trips around the sun and you start, the face starts creeping back into yeah. it, you know, and you start appreciating maybe not, um, maybe not the parts of, uh, practice, let's say that you you know you found boring or or you know uh, pointless as as a youngster. Then you start reflecting and you start looking at the stories in in many faiths, but let's just pick Christianity and those those stories, those lessons that are there, and how important that is to figure out your own meaning and purpose in life. Oops, I'm sorry. Meaning, yeah, meaning making. And by the way, the one of the terms used for that time period where people kind of wander off is called the desert of criticism. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, some folks, you know, the intention was that eventually people come back around, but that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. I will say, um, as, as uh, a glimmer of optimism that I frequently see in people who, who do not have a traditional religion or spirituality that there seems to be at least a small hunger there. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do we how do we nurture that? Mm-hmm. And and how has religion become 
the, the mere term such a, a, a bad term. Yeah. You know, right. As you said, you know, we're in a very binary kind of world where um, it's, it's too easy to say religion is the cause of our ills. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, I'm a biased source. I think exactly the opposite. You know, religion done right well, I think, is the opposite. Yeah. And I, I sense the um, attitude with a lot of my peers, even that when someone shows someone shows their practice of faith or even mentions it they somehow now view that person as less intelligent or oh. you know or crazy or or whatever and it's just like it's like well you know i think that um that hunger that um desert of criticism you know that you know, it's it's time to water that a little more. You know, it's yeah. it's. I mean, I, I I don't know what exactly the question I'm getting at, but um, maybe I'll come to it. Right. Um, but but I just noticed this that, that people will scoff at you if you mention something in scripture, and, and I'm not particularly religious. Um, you know, I grew up in the Methodist church, and my dad taught uh, music in the church, and and so I was heavily around the church, but I didn't really pay much attention to the teachings. You know, I'd listen to the sermon and stuff like that. But, you know, having gone back and looking at some of the biblical stories um, from just a humanist perspective and and trying to uh, pull out of there the, the really important psychological uh, meanings out of those stories and 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 the lessons it's guiding our society and I think it's dangerous when we when we just scoff at something that that's you know two thousand years ago has given us these kind of codes to live by and that if we just write them off as all oh, that's just dumb I think you've another good point is you've talked about these codes being and these words being for for us as a larger group. And we, as we become more individualistic um, in society, um, you know, have that's one of the things that we've lost out, mm-hmm. in, and that is this the the wider scope. Now, I have to be careful because my wife says that my favorite book of the Bible is the Book of Keithus. She <laughs> says you just made that up, yeah. but but you know, you just kind of touched on one of the things that I teach students, and that is that there are, there are several things. And one is. Um, even the most abhorrent of theologies that we hear, and that's abhorrent from our perspective, may and probably does serve a greater purpose in our patients and their families. Mm-hmm. So whether we believe it or not, actually, it's not that important. Honoring it's important because mm-hmm. I can't make you I can't make you believe what someone says, but mm-hmm. I, but I can say it's important that we honor. Mm-hmm. Another is that sometimes we do tend to think that people are less intelligent when they fall. More on the fundamentalist, uh, you know, spectrum than we do, and that's an act, as I like to say, of unintelligence in and of itself. Yeah. That, that's there. And the, you know, the last thing in, on this is that, uh, as an introvert, um, one way, if I want to cut off anyone who's trying to strike up a conversation with me, is all I need to say is I'm a Baptist minister, <laughs> and that usually cuts the whole conversation <laughs> off. You know, I don't, I don't tell them about the exciting stuff that I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and we get into a lot of things here. Oh, we can. I mean. I had this conversation with a friend of mine recently, and we were talking about, you know, a lot of young people, the activist types, are talking about rights, 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 and 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 they don't include the part that you can't uncouple, which is responsibility. Yes. And then he went on to say, well, there's another R, and that's respect, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, 
that's the more fuzzy one, but it I think it that's where we gauge our humanity and that's where we can learn to be better. I mean, we have to remember the rights and responsibility or appreciate the rights and, and, and take responsibility to make sure that we protect those. But then the respect part is is how we, you know, how much we grown as humans, you know, and how willing we are to accept uh, another human in front of us, even if they have totally wild ideas that are so contrary to, to our own. And, yeah. and I say wild because it's just like I would think that, uh, you know, another's ideas are crazy. Oh, you, you believe this. Well, you know. Yeah, our, our tendency toward a binary um, <clears throat> structure on everything, you're either a zero or a one, you're mm-hmm. either a yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um fails us spiritually and fails us practically as well. And I think that makes natu- makes for natural enemies and not for people who find commonality. And, yeah. I think- you know, I'm, I'm pleased that I get to work with a wide variety of people, some of whom uh, their theologies and mine overlap quite a bit, and sometimes, you know, not at all. But we can still be in the same place mm-hmm. and learn from each other. Yeah. Well, and I think in the, in the healthcare environment where you have, you know, the healthcare professional who – seemingly is doing it because they wanted to help people not yeah. not because it pays you know on you know all these you know big boxes of gold every, right. every I know day. not as a not as a chaplain <laughs> the, the rarest phrase in the English language is oh that's the chaplain's porch you just don't hear that <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> so um but so you have these healthcare professionals who are there to help people and then you have patients of all stripes and that um you know i would i wonder how have you seen working with healthcare professionals for so long have you seen the older the healthcare professional the more spiritual they are has that been a thing because i mean you see life and death every day you see strife you see uh, trauma you see all these things and you would think that that would drive you more to like the feeling that there's you know a greater good a greater being that 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 is there. So, actually, I see both extremes. So I'm going to give you a binary answer, which okay. is which is unfortunate, <laughs> and that is that that um, uh, number one, our healthcare professionals are under tremendous strains and see, as you said, a, a lot of injury and a lot of sadness each day. And that carries it, its own weight. And so, you know, one of the things that I and my colleagues as well try to do is to try to help people get grounded back in their spirituality and, and because healthcare workers need support as well. Mm-hmm. Um, our ICU nurses, I, you know, I, I'm warned they spend 12 hours a day with patients who frequently are, are, are not going to get better in that classic sense. And they're there with a the patient and they're with the, with the families and there are costs there. I do see people who've stayed in medicine for a while usually coming to a better spiritual resonance. Occasionally, they'll actually compartmentalize. For a while, I was interviewing different healthcare professionals about their spiritual views in medicine mm-hmm. and, and had a physician tell me, uh, not of this hospital, that he just turned his religion off when he saw his patients. Which to me, uh, while it may be a good compensating mechanism, it was a sad place for me actually mm-hmm. because my my hope for folks in healthcare would be that they would get to a place and and, and find people to support them and explore and keep their spirituality alive and growing mm-hmm. while they're seeing patients, yeah. not on the drive home, not when they're home with the, with the family. Yeah, I mean, I would 
I find it hard yeah. to believe that person's actually that's if yeah. you can just turn it off. Yeah, that, of, it's I, I think you're right. It's a walled off. It's almost like walling off a cyst, and that means that even though there's a wall there, what's inside's probably yeah not, not what I want it to be. I will say that uh, you know one of my many maladies is that after being in healthcare as long as I was. And seeing patients and then going back to divinity school, I was going to be God's gift to chaplains. So, you know, I had it all and I wasn't and am not now. But I will say that meeting people for one and only time when they just lost their husband, wife, child, um, tempered my spirituality, my religious views, my theology in ways that I never would have guessed mm-hmm. because as a chaplain, regardless of the situation you're walking in, regardless of the people's religion, you represent God to most of the people you walk in on. Mm-hmm. at a time when they might be the most angry at God. And God's not around that they know of. Mm-hmm. So guess who they can get angry at? <laughs> but, but if you can't bring your own spirituality, your own sense, you know, I've never felt closer to God than when I was with people in really dark places mm-hmm. that was that was a a place that i realized i uh, i grew mm-hmm. not that i need to to stop growing because i think mm-hmm. that we always you know you either spiritually grow or you wither mm-hmm. but there was something about going into these really hard situations and thinking where is god with me as i walk in and so i carried a little piece of scripture in my brain on the way in, and mm-hmm. that's how I sustain myself. Because the old rule of medicine is, in the case of emergency, the first pulse you take is your own. Well, mm-hmm. in this case, theologically, the first pulse I would take at two o'clock in the morning would be my own. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that I think people sometimes people wait till they get to that dark yeah. place, and that's when they can really do some deep soul searching and figure out what it is they believe and. Yeah. Uh, somehow I wanted to segue into end of life. I mean, no one gets out of it alive. We yeah. all know that there's an end, and that alone should be enough to, number one, want to examine our lives and see what we're bringing when we get up every day. Um, and another is like a lot of people wait till that moment to then try to figure out what it is that they believe and did they, you know, and, and try to, you know, maybe not get stuck in regrets and bitterness yeah. and that kind of thing. But to, you know, and, and uh, I'm trying to come up with a question, but I'm just. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you what, let me, let me start and we'll see if, if a <laughs> okay. question comes out of that or, or whether I answer it. I will say, um, first off, again, in my, my talking with different primarily physicians at this time was, uh, Asked an oncologist, again, not at this hospital, what their biggest theological regret was. And they talked about how the more patients describe themselves as religious, the harder time they seem to have accepting their diagnosis and their end of life. And I thought, well, that can't be true. And then I heard it again and again. And then I've seen a couple of published studies that indicate that actually people who describe themselves as more religious tend to adopt hospice later and uh, cling on to therapies that that uh, may not be helpful to mm-hmm. them. Um, and, you know, uh, that's part of the, the sadness that I have, and that is that frequently we'll hear people who can say the words of their belief 
and that they're not afraid of death. I think by, by making those statements, they have written checks that they don't entirely, they're not entirely able to cash and they're not able to do some of the work. I think if we can't see God being with us in the sad places, that's problematic. Yeah. And so actually I'll flip this back to the, you know, the, these days we're in way too a popular notion that if you believe X, good things are going to happen to you. Mm. You know, uh, you know, that old, uh, Song, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? You know, it's, it's kind of a reflection of this. Yeah. It's seeing God in the dark places, in the places we'd rather not be. Mm-hmm. That that is that's the magic space. And, and so, if I could leave these people, I talked about these tragic situations. If I left knowing that I had given them a glimmer of God's presence and nothing else in that space, that mm-hmm. I had I had done um, done my work as a chaplain. I think that our um, somehow decision that we're never going to die, that we're never going to get sick, that we're never going to age, hurts us in the long run, hurts us spiritually mm-hmm. as we, we aren't able to work through those issues. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, you know, end-of-life kind of conversations don't occur in the church. Mm-hmm. Or this, you know, I, I won't speak for, for other faiths, but I will say that it's the rare church that will actually have a Wednesday night program on advanced care planning, on talking about, you know, what would be my wishes if I get too sick to speak for myself? What's important to me? What mm-hmm. do I want people who would have to make my decisions to know? Yeah, We avoid those questions. And I actually posed one time, let me come and talk about, you know, end of life. And, and it was like, oh my, no, uh, can you talk about the gospel of John? Well, <laughs> you know, I'm much more averse, uh, you know, are much more versed in talking about end of life than I am the gospel of John, to be honest yeah. with you. Well, I mean, so when, while you're talking, I thought about the notion of health literacy. And so someone might say, well, I'm, I'm going to subscribe to this non-conventional healing method oh, that yes. probably has a low outcome. Yes. Uh, uh, and so that's a, demonstrating a low health literacy, which is a big problem, but also the notion of spiritual literacy. So and what I'm where I'm going with that is um, – you know, a lot of people will get evangelized for the good of of the message of the word, yes. right? But they don't they don't want to check the darkness. And I think it's a Jungian thing. It's like you got to know your shadow to know your light. And, and um, what do they say? And you know, when when these people who go on these uh, psychedelic medicine journeys, you know, ayahuasca and things like that. They always say, if you see a door, open it. If you see a dark tunnel, that's where you need to go. That's where the work is. Ah. And I think that maybe there's a a piece missing with modern religion because everyone's trying to fill the pews and get the, you know, grow the base. And I've heard stories that, you know, memberships down in certain churches and, and all that. And, and it's like, well, maybe, the piece that's missing is that we all going to die. Yeah. Everyone here. There's the commonality that we have. There's yeah. the commonality. So let's talk about that. And, and, and what what about that makes you fearful or sad or depressed? Or, and allowing people to say that they're fearful. Right. And I think that what happens is stating that you're fearful comes across as a lack of faith. And it's not lack of faith. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's fear of what's next. What? And what that might mean. And, and, and instead of saying, 
no, just believe subtly and say this and, and everything's going to be okay to let people explore that in a safe place and a yeah. nurturing place. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I've started doing yoga 15, 20 years ago. And, and one of the things that, that comes out of that and, and martial arts and other things is, you know, you leave your ego at the door and, you know, and that's a place where you want it to melt away. And I think that some of this, reluctance to talk about the end is is our ego just saying no 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 we're we're too strong for that and admitting weakness and, and the fight euphemism which is uh, one of the things that that really is pervasive in our culture and that comes out of churches as well we're going to fight this together but as a, a, a cancer patient told me one time now that I'm not winning this fight it makes it sound like I didn't try hard enough. Mm. So the fight euphemism, um, <laughs> she not only said that, by the way, but she said all the people who said we're going to fight this together gradually disappeared, <laughs> and she was, you know, alone, is that um, while none of us uh, hopefully is in a hurry to die, um, this fighting, if we fight hard enough, it won't happen. A positive attitude is going to turn things around is is not helpful in the mm-hmm. long run. Well, yeah, and I, I, I think that um, this the good the good side the good stories are told, you know, they're and sold, mm-hmm. and, and that's what we want to cling on to. And it's like I guess it's like some of the self help things where you, you get the message, oh, you're just fine the way you are, and just accept that, and then you can start on a on a journey to do other things. But I think that that's the wrong message too. It's like, no, you're not okay. You can, if you, let's take today for baseline. And then what can we do today to make tomorrow to make you better yeah. one step better tomorrow? And I think people resist that. They don't want to hear that, you know, that I'm not okay, you know, and, and but the, but the message is you can always be better. Yeah. And the thinking, thinking you're going to be better is going to make it better as well. And, we, we have a malady, and that is, my theory is that no one dies anymore unless, and so there are two things. Either uh, we, we did something to you we shouldn't have, or we didn't do something to you we should have. And that some of that comes out of over-trust that we have medical answers for everything that are curative. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to that in a second when I want to talk about healing. But the other part is that there is a substantial amount of institutional distrust against medicine in general. Actually, against all, I would I would say against all institutions right now that our level of, of distrust is there. And that is, again, if we did what we're supposed to, everything's going to be okay. And, of course, not everybody lives forever. Actually, I haven't met anyone yet who lives, <laughs> lives forever. I do think, uh, and this is not a popular notion, and I have to risk my job at least one one time a day, yeah, sure. and, and this is, is coming up. Okay. Uh, I'll, you know, we, we say that we have a mission to care and a mission to cure. Curing is great, and, and I think we should strive for that, but I also think that our ultimate mission is one of healing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes healing occurs at end of life. Mm-hmm. Some of the most beautiful spaces I have been in as a chaplain, have been end of life experiences where the miracle that occurred was that occurred was not someone getting up and walking away. It was a fractured family who literally couldn't be in the same room because we need to have security there because they wanted to to get in a punch out. Mm-hmm. Who could come together? Who could put their hands on their relative? 
tell them that they love them as I prayed and they died. And mm-hmm. that's a beautiful space. Mm-hmm. And that is a miraculous space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you, in one of these cases, uh, the family was literally in an argument within five minutes after this person's death over over her stuff. So I won't give you the Reader's Digest and, yeah. and they all live happily ever after. But for that moment, they could come and be with her. And there is no greater gift at the end of life than to be surrounded by people who you love and who love you. Mm-hmm. No, that's 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 great. And I, th- I do think that, you know, back to the spiritual literacy, yeah. I, I just think that that's a, a big, yeah. big thing that we're leaving out is the responsibility that we have to accept um, that we're mortal yes. and that um, the lack of just exploring the idea that there's something greater than ourselves. Yeah. And you our know, bodies are perishable. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is part of the Christian tradition. Yeah. Uh, you know, our bodies are perishable. That's, that's, you know, at yeah. least what I read. Yeah. Well, the, you know, there is a, you, you know, the notion in our society, I mean, I, I see a lot of weird, uh, I guess, uh, thoughts or, 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 uh, what do you say? Movements in our in the Western world is sort of anti-Western. It's mm-hmm. anti-capitalism. It's it's the the patriarchy. It's hierarchies are bad. Um, but religion, I think, and I, it may be why a lot of people are turned off by religion because seemingly there's this hierarchy. And it's the ultimate hierarchy. Who's at the top? Well, God. However you want to describe and that. In, in an individualistic society where we we crave autonomy over everything that yeah. it makes us uncomfortable doesn't it well yeah and and, and we you know I, I understand the criticism about the west and the materialism but the the uh cures or the the proposals being put forth by those who you know have chosen politics as their ideology as their religion um don't seem to address that don't seem to say look uh um we have to shun materialism, yeah, but 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 um, but how you know what's the best way to do that? And as the individual, I think we get that right in the West that we have individual sovereignty, but we aren't units of one. We are together, and somehow we need to marry those concepts of um, the individual plus the collective of. Uh, look, you know, seeking the greater good, yeah. and and the greater good. I mean, just drop off a, a an O, and you got God. You I, know, and I think, yeah, I think we're we all are searching. I think you mentioned this earlier for for a sense of ultimate meaning, mm-hmm. uh, meaning making. So you know, the religions that I'm familiar with, the spiritualities that I'm familiar with, all are looking for that what that greater purpose is, mm-hmm. and and searching for it. I think we sometimes stumble across each other when we do that. Yeah, I think there's an interesting parallel between what you said though, and 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 medicine, and folks that I run into who shun modern medicine. As uh, as being all bad again, we've turned into binary again. Mm-hmm. And I've run into patients actually uh, uh, outside of here who will not take medicines that their physician prescribed because they are 
uh, inherently bad because they're from the medical industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And yet we'll take things that haven't been proven to do anything and sometimes are proven to be harmful because they're natural. And mm -hmm. as I explained to one of my wife's friends and, and didn't make a friend out of her, you know, lead and arsenic are natural as well. And so, <laughs> you know, there are things that just because we see them as natural aren't, aren't helpful. Mm -hmm. I think our, our move to think that our independence and not being beholding to anyone else is a positive thing comes at the detriment of not just all of society, but as us individually. Mm -hmm. And that's where that group spirituality comes into place. Mm -hmm. Can we be totally uh, healthful and hopeful, you know, spiritual beings in and of ourselves? Um, it, it's possible. I'm, I'm sure it's done by people, but community is a, such an important aspect to who we are spiritually mm -hmm. and, and a meaning beyond ourselves mm -hmm. that um, I think we, we, again, become individualistic at our own peril and mm -hmm. we cost others as well. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's a place for individualism, especially in health, in that we have the ultimate responsibility to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And if we're not taking care of ourselves, to, to figure out why and then figure out what we need to do to be a better person the next day so me to be a better me tomorrow and and i think that's the part of responsibility in healthcare. care a lot of people just they want the pill that fixes them yeah. or the natural you know the yeah. tea that they can drink to fix them is it, they don't look in themselves to figure out what is it i need to do to take responsibility to get healthy and i think you know when you in, when you when you bring in that faith, and I you know I've gone through kind of a transcendence, a transformation over the last ten years um, of bringing faith back into my life and really appreciating it, not like getting uh, you know totally evangelistic or anything or or uh, fundamentalist, but to value and appreciate the messages and to seek out what it is i you know call it gaia god you know whatever the term you want to use um and i think that when you do that then you start saying well my body is a temple let yeah. me start there that's the one thing i have the most control over is my body and i can go to the gym or i can go work out or if i'm not able to do those things just to eat better you know and, and to stop doing things that i know are bad and to figure out um, you know, the intent behind it versus the behavior. And, and why do I do this? Well, it makes me feel good. We'll find something that doesn't destroy my health and makes me feel good. You know, And you're talking about tomorrow. And one of the things that actually my wife has helped me learn in some work that she's done in some, some food banks is that for, for some people in our society, they feel so disposable that there really is no long-term look. So trying to convince someone the importance of weight loss when they're not sure where they're going to sleep tomorrow mm -hmm. yeah. is uh, doesn't work. So how do we, you know, how do we provide hope is all about always about reframing. And by mm -hmm. the way, that's another thing we run into medicine where they'll say, well, I guess there's no hope. There's always hope. Mm -hmm. The hope is reframed, but helping the, the, whether it's the elderly without a ride and without any family members here in town are, are someone who's, who's homeless or, you know, just or someone who's recently got a, gotten a heart disease, mm -hmm. helping them to see what the long term is for them and, and, you know, that they are valuable beyond the next week or so. Mm -hmm. Because the meta message that society often gives is you're only as good for us as what you can do right now. Right now, yeah. And so helping people to understand. And conversely, by the way, 
when, when I run into people who are convinced that the world is going to end, you know, Jesus is coming back in two weeks, so why should I give up the corn dogs? That's a tough sell, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And so that enters in as well. Yeah. Uh, corn dogs are God's perfect food, by the way. You've got bread and meat. And, and so. It's just on a stick, yes, too. Yes. <laughs> you just dip them right in that ketchup. Yes. <laughs> One of my kids' favorite food. Well, you know, as a father, I speaking of kids, it, it's, you know, I haven't. Um, we haven't been practicing, you know, we don't have a home church, let's say. I mean, they, they, you, you mentioned something earlier, like we, we are kind of steeped in uh, Judeo-Christian beliefs in our country. I mean, there's certainly others, but, but for, you know, my life growing up in North Carolina, you know, that's kind of been my experience in the church. And, and um, you know, I'm trying to, bring that back to to my kids if nothing else just to have them connected to some to the community through that way and and, and you go to these places and i you know what i've experienced is most churches i've been into are just the most welcoming places and it's not there's no judgment you know it's like going into that yoga class you know they say it's extremely non-competitive and non-judgmental and that's how i feel when i go into come in and do the best you can you just do the best you can and no one you know um you know i have been in places where you know someone wants to grab you and take them you know, take, oh yeah i've been in churches that visited where yeah. i you know I, I felt like i was a wounded antelope on, yeah. the, on the serengeti plain i was going to get eaten yeah because yeah. people were just couldn't wait to get to well and there, there's something about those type of people too there that's kind of um an addiction for them and, and, yeah. and one of the places i'll share um i used to go to uh 12-step meetings aa meetings and um not that I had a huge problem or anything, but it just there were signs, and it was like I better go just see what this is about. And um, inevitably, you would have these people. First of all, there's a lot of addiction there with smoking and and coffee, like drinking gallons of coffee. So it's, but but the program's working to get the worst part of their lives cleared up. And what I found was there are a lot of people there that want to evangelize you immediately and just take you in. You need a sponsor. You need a sponsor. You need a sponsor. Hmm. And so, so it, it it makes you recoil a little bit. Yeah, so. X, X anything's can be uh, so <laughs> a little scary around. You know, well, my uh, my wife has her master's in Christian education. She's a uh, the director of Christian education for or if I guess, a home Moravian church, and mm-hmm. and their husband, their dad is a Baptist minister and a, and a chaplain. So my boys just didn't have a chance. I mean, so they you know, <laughs> and, and in fact, we've said here's your we'll pay for your four years of your undergraduate, but you have to do one hour of church stuff a week. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so yeah, we're we're holding them hostage, and it's worked well with with the first guy. We'll see. The second guy goes to college next year. So. <laughs> well, you know, again, in my peer group, um, as I've become more aware of of spirituality and 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 more appreciative and and uh, of religion and the stories and the 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 parables and messages and 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 rules to live by, um, I have to really temper how I how that comes out in social situations because ah. again it's like my peers who you know have a lot of smart rich friends um, who have just you know been brought up outside the church and don't really subscribe to anything and, and you know as soon as they hear that you know you have a message of faith or God or something you know it's all of a sudden uh, you just went down on their yeah. on their in their. Or you're by yourself at the table. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's 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 kind of it's weird that way because it's it's definitely helped me um, 
take stock when I wake up in the morning, you know, I'll read a passage from, you know, whatever book that just kind of gives me a, something to think about and something to be reflective of myself and, and, and what my, what I bring to society. And, and I know that is definitely, uh, uh, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Other, it just, it, it, it helps me see the something greater, the King of Kings, if you will, and, you're you know? pra- and, you're, and it takes it takes practice. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Um, some folks kind of recall; they think that once you're there, you've gotten it, and you don't. Margaret and I—I um, I don't drive a lot because of some orthopedic issues, and Margaret and I driving together, and that's our spiritual time together. Mm-hmm. So we, the Moravians, have what they call the Moravian Daily Text, which has been for the 1700s. They mm-hmm. they pull scriptures, and so we do that together and have our spiritual time driving in in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, and no, it's not any longer than 15 minutes, but it, it actually helps to remind me that I need spiritual practice. I'm kind of lucky. I'm surrounded, you know, I, there's a there's a, a bag full of chaplains all around me. So, uh, you know, I'm able to walk next door and and spiritually reflect with, with somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, there, there's a uh, one of our chaplains, I call her my chaplain, and she calls me her chaplain. So we have that available, and I'm also aware that most folks don't have that during the day. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need someone who can, and that's part of our, our spiritual need, and, and it can be a blessing as well, who will just listen to us mm-hmm. and help us reflect yeah. and help us recenter. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's one thing I learned. I, I did the health coach certification training, and, and that's a good extender to the community as well and and one of the things you learn or one of the things they try to uh, uh, impress upon you is the ability to listen without fixing you know it's the writing reflex we want to correct anything we see broken and therefore instead of listening we're just reminding the person of their broken pieces when we're trying to fix things so it's the hard it's a real hard thing to do and i you know i appreciate that that the motivational interviewing, but also just, you know, in, in counseling, you know, um, all the fields of social work and, and, you know, uh, faith is, is like just listening and understanding, trying and, and repeating back what you heard in a way that the person talking feels understood. You know, one of the common things I'd hear again at two or three o'clock in the morning after something tragic has happened is people who'd say, I want to be angry with God. And so then, then the question is, so how would it be for you to be angry with God? Mm-hmm. To realize that a third of the Psalms are lamentations where people are pretty angry at God, if you read them carefully. <laughs> and, but they're not unfaithful. They're mm-hmm. just angry. And so to give people permission to feel what they're feeling without making them feel like that they have walked away from the faith that's brought them to that place. And, and, and again— we, you know, if we're not careful, we, we can create these crystalline theologies that look so pretty. But, but when your child dies in a tragic accident, that whole thing, that like a piece of crystal, can just disintegrate. Mm. And so it's, you know, number one, we don't want to purposely fracture this to mix euphemisms exoskeleton that while we may not understand it, it's what's holding this person together. Mm. At the same time, I mourn watching people who have such a if-then approach to their view of God that it all falls apart. And these are people I talk to later who don't go back to church, don't go back to synagogue, don't go back anywhere 
mm-hmm. because this preconceived beautiful thing they built mm-hmm. was really just a dollar's worth of glass. Well, that's I mean that's where I'm getting back to that spiritual literacy because you know I I sort of would you know when people would say oh it's all in God's hands or you know there's a everything happens for a reason it's like not really yeah. and, you know it's and do you want to hear that when you're when your grandmother dies, do you want to do you want to hear? Well, you know, when God uh, closes a door, yeah. a window opens, <laughs> and and our folks don't don't do that because yeah. that's you know hard to say. Well, I know just how you feel. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think it's very important that we allow for the growth you're talking about and the meaning making. And you know, if if God is important to me as God is. How is that importance residing here in this really dark place? Mm-hmm. Right now? Yeah. And hopefully I can grow out of this with my faith not decimated, but in fact, um, as something that undergirds me and helps me hold together. Right, right. No, I think, yeah, yeah, I I think so. I mean, I I think that's one of the reasons people scoff again at at religion sometimes because they're like, uh, oh, you know, you want the good things, you know, buy me the Mercedes yeah. Benz. But when when something bad happens, then you want to curse. Yeah, and is yeah. that the absence of? So we tend to see the bad things as the absence of God, and mm-hmm. and as I, we talked about before, no. Yeah, well, I mean, and and again, I, the the renewed appreciation I have for the biblical stories is that um, those bad things are lessons too. Yeah. And and if we don't, if we're not ready to see them, then we miss something very important there. And I think that's where that literacy comes in. It's like, if I've just been told one thing and my, that's my narrative, I think it's like, you know, uh, politics in America. If you really pay attention to that window, was it called the Overton window of discourse? It's not wide at all. Mm-hmm. And so the D's and R's are, are just swimming in this really small stream. And there's ideas way out in on, on the banks. But we don't we don't get to talk about that. Um, and it seems to me like, uh, you know, a lot of popular modern views of religion is just that you're in that stream and it's all good. And as long as you stay in there, it's a pretty narrow stream. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everything's great. It's going to happen to you. And then when that doesn't, that narrative doesn't hold up, then your world, you view is shot. And that's why people in that political stream are so reluctant to listen to ideas that fall outside of that very uh, protected narrative that we've all been kind of fed that binary narrative and and i think same with religion is like you know uh, the 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 popular view of it is just so narrow and 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 we fail to deep dive into those places that we need we should be responsible to go understand too before we just say yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's like, what? What? What all does that mean? Yeah, do, you, do you know that doesn't always just mean you're going to get the Mercedes? <laughs> yeah, if, you know, if, uh, my line is: if we're not careful, we're trying to cash a check that God did not write, and that's mm-hmm. a dangerous place to be. I will say, uh, the many parallels between medicine and religion that I see, um, one of them is that that binary nature that you're talking about. There's also that an underappreciation for the answer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I remember one night. Um, encountering a man uh, who had lost his entire family in an accident. All of them gone. Mm. Uh, he was angry. He was large. You know, it seems like everyone, who they were always a whole lot bigger than me when this happened. But he said, why did God do this? I want to know. And I want to know right now. Mm-hmm. It was in my face. And I told him, 
I don't know. And he stopped. And I said, there are a lot of things I'd love to know the answer to, but I'm not going to lie to you and make up something for you. I'm not going to tell you something just to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. I am going to say that, you know, uh, one day in the in the afterlife, I'm, I, I have a lot of questions, mm-hmm. but maybe the questions won't be so important. And so it made me realize that for many of us, becoming comfortable with the questions is maybe more important than finding the answer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, you could you could say too that the answer is forty two, yeah, and then we forget the questions. And, but some people would just love, you know, that they want that finite answer. Yeah, you know? yeah. This oh. is the best medicine to take. <laughs> there are three or four best medicines. To take. Yeah. Um, so where do we go with that? Let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, so back back to today's medical student, you know, you're yeah. you're teaching there. What's the attitude towards, or, or do you sense there's a prevailing conventional wisdom, or or you know, how how well is your your message received? I guess I, you know, uh, and I especially get to do this more with the PA students. It's a it's it's one class with the medical students. I kind of incorporate it into several classes with the PA students. In fact, we we're doing something that's rather innovative that uh, that I can tell you about in a moment. I. I do think there's an, an appreciation there, and you can see um, that there's more spiritual potential than you might get if you asked for a written survey. Mm-hmm. So as you said, you know, religion, religion and even spirituality to some degree have become have so many negative connotations that it's, you know, you're, you're better off discussing sex than you are religion. Uh, in a you know in, in polite society, it, it is it is interesting because we've let it become so polarizing. I do sense uh, when I get to lecture that these folks are gather some understanding of oh I don't have to agree with X, and I think that many of them have been through media reports led to believe that the only way to be Moravian is if you like sugar cake and, and you know I'm using this as a dream obviously and and mm-hmm. and very sweet coffee and if you don't then you're not really a, a Moravian and you're not really Christian that that that's what they're exposed to mm-hmm. um, so and and again subterfuge and saying I want you to be accepting of your patient's spiritual views and to understand it then then what I'm sensing is that there's a little awakening that it's okay for them to have and explore their spiritual ideas as well. Mm-hmm. So I have hope yeah. uh, in, in that respect. Well, We're good. doing something really neat with the, the PA students. We, we right now can't do with the med students because of time and, and people. And that is that uh, in an exercise that's actually coming up next week, our first-year PA students will be matched with our chaplain residents. Because there's a lot of interest. When I talk to the med students and the PA students, there's a lot of interest. What do chaplains do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and... and, and because it's a lot more varied than they think. We don't just come in as a religious cuckoo clock and pray at the prescribed time <laughs> and go back in. It's a lot of conversation. There are a lot of things about end of life that we're involved with. We actually pair them together with a standardized patient, which is a nice way of saying somebody we pay to, to be a professional patient, actually two folks, and they do a family meeting. And there is a bit of uh, family dynamic issues, as there often are on bioethics consults, but there are also some differences in the ideas about religion among the two family members. Mm-hmm. And, and they learn to navigate that. And so we're trying to prepare them in how to deal with religious diversity, not just between them and the patient, 
but between the family members mm-hmm. and between the patient and the spouse. And I think that, that you know, we had the opportunity to create some initial comfort with the conversations, but I also think the long-term thing is some comfort within themselves mm-hmm. because, you know, the challenge as it is to our chaplain uh, interns and residents is what was going on in your heart when all this was going on, when this person was telling you the worst day that they could ever imagine just occurred, mm-hmm. you know. So what's what is going on in your spirit? Because if you can't take of your care of your own spirit, you're you're going to have a hard time taking care of the spiritual being that's across from you. Yeah. So yeah. I have hope. Yeah. Well, good. Now let's go to practicality now and how um, faith health and some of these efforts um, going into faith communities. I mean, what what kind of actual programs have you seen that have been is uh, have been implemented and are successful. And so mentioned the homeless program. That's one. Uh, another one that's really kind of taken fire is chaplaincy directed toward first responders and the first responder communities, and it has just taken off. And so, in addition to dealing with primarily the sheriff's department personnel and county EMS and what they're encountering. Um, they also will go into a community if there's uh, a suicide that occurs in the community. The realization, we talked about that communal aspect, it doesn't just affect the one person. Mm. It doesn't just affect their family, but the surrounding communities involved as well. Mm. Right? And it may be their church community, but it also could be the 10 houses around from them and something really horrible has happened. And so we're doing outreach in that area. They're going to different um Volunteer fire departments and different different EMS units and mm. doing that. So that's one of the innovative things that are doing. We are working, um, uh, trying trying tirelessly to work with our free clinics in the area to again make sure that the work that we do here at Wake Forest Baptist Health is as seamless as possible. Sometimes the best thing is for them not to come here as a patient, but maybe the best thing for them financially and logistically is to connect them with another free clinic are with one of the federally qualified uh, health systems that are around here so that they can be seen. It's uh, it's a way to focus away from the one visit mm-hmm. because getting people in for one visit, we could pat ourselves on the back and all go back and get a cup of coffee. But health is longitudinal, just like our spiritual life is. So what we, what we try to do is to help people create systems and to connect them with. We have folks who will say, I am Methodist, and but I haven't been to you know a Methodist congregation here, and I am just really lonely, and I need someone. Mm-hmm. To, for our folks, we'll actually you know call one of the local Methodist ministers and say we have this person, and they are lonely, and they need a community, and can you help? Mm-hmm. That may not be a reduced blood pressure. That mm-hmm. may not be something that goes into the medical record, and yet it improves the spiritual and physical health of that person for years to come or has the potential to do so. Yeah. So a lot of point-to-point kind of things. Yeah, that's great because I could see where, you know, given our uh, opioid crisis, a lot of people fall into that instead of reaching out and finding, you know, a community to be connected to. They just go to the the bottle or the pill or or worse. We have a very substantial uh, presence with our own (laughs) Employees, you know, we are the largest employee employer in Forsyth County. Mm-hmm. Because of that, we have people who are burned out. We have yeah. people who um, are victims of domestic violence. We actually have uh, systems in place to assist our employees. We we don't want 
uh, an employee who was burned out because they have no clothes, not to be able to come to work, to not to be able to be employed here in the downstream sequela. So again, we see this as spiritual so that we, we do a substantial amount of work, not just at this hospital, but at our surrounding hospitals as well. We have chaplains at each of the hospitals associated with Wake Forest Baptist Health. Here in the medical center, we have someone here 24-7. So again, we have a very robust chaplain residency program and internship. Uh, one, and we have two fellows this year in addition to our chaplain residents. And both of them take turns at Downtown Health Plaza and actually help with integration of care there and, and, and help with spiritual support out into to people who tend to be uh, more needy uh, financially or transportation-wise than the general population. So mm-hmm. we do that as well. And these things are, are working well. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I've said before on this podcast how the hospital is kind of the tip of the spear for all this stuff that yeah. we talk about, the social determinants, because – you know, those people on the bottom of Maslow's, you know, they end up, they end up yeah. in the ED. You yeah. know, they, they end up here. And then people who are here through, you know, n- they'd rather not be here. <laughs> you know, they're here because of trauma or illness. And, and it just walking through the halls, um, you, you know, you would think there would be a lot more incidents of, of aggression and, and outbursts and things. But what I notice is there's people come together, you know, they, they, you know, sometimes it's the worst thing that happens to them is what brings Brings people people together. There was a, there's a Netflix series called the politician now and Gwyneth Paltrow is the, 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 the mother of one of the main characters. And she said, he says, my, my life just went off the trail, went, went off the tracks. And, She's, you know, life's not a train. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the best thing that could happen to you was it went off the rails because mm-hmm. life's not a train. She called it a shit tornado full of gold. <laughs> I'll have to watch that. <laughs> where where the object, she says, that, you know, you got to try your best to stay clean and grab as many gold bars as you can. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, I guess the point of that is that, you know, the only guarantee we have, and, and I've borrowing this i didn't come up with this but the only guarantee we have by being born is struggle and yes. that's guaranteed so so you know the the all the different kind of uh uh just the community umbrellas that that we can go under that are there for us if we just want to raise our hand and say yeah i'd like to go there um you know and that's the church and that's you know sp- sports and that's uh you know it could be political organizations could, but be, the, could be the barbershop the barbershop yeah. yeah it's 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 yeah. It, the you know the choir the the symphony you know whatever it is but but those are the things that help us pursue things that are greater than us i mean we're, the reason we're doing it not because you know i think it's going to make me look better if i do that it's because I want to feel connected, and, and I think that um, for some people that don't have any of that, they, you know, it starts here when they come to the hospital, or or they have some something went off the rails, or the tornado chewed them up and threw them out, and now they're lost. And and sometimes this is the springboard for something greater for them. So it's I think it's very important that we have this well. Uh, well-oiled chaplaincy. And, and we get referrals, Faith Health gets referrals for, yes, it might be help with, with pharmaceuticals, but a lot of times it's, I don't have any electricity in my house. I don't have a safe place to go. Where If I go home, it's not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm lonely. Those are the things, those connectivity kind of issues that we, you know, that's that's kind of our forte is how do we connect people mm-hmm. in a world that tends to be, again, very individualistic and very disconnected. And if you need other people, that's considered a weakness. Well, yeah. I think that's that's um, a mal theory. Uh, well, I, I agree. I mean, I think vulnerability, being yeah. vulnerable is something that we need to stop stigmatizing that as weakness or yeah. we need to stop thinking about it as weakness. I mean, yeah, be careful who you're vulnerable to. Um, and, and, and the reasons, you know, why you're, you're being vulnerable, be, you know, guard that, but it's not a sense of weakness. I think it's the, the most loving thing you can do is to be vulnerable to another human being. And I think just the, in the zeitgeist of today's, uh, political environment and this uh, ease of which we call someone a bigot or a racist or a misogynist or, or whatever, or label them D or R or, you know, you're wearing a red hat, so you're, you're bad, or, yeah. or you, your hair is purple, you're bad, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's easy for us to be divided. And, and, and the further we divide into these units of one, the less community we have. And I think it's, I mean, that's where I think faith has always played a big part. And I think it's, it's important that we keep getting that message out that that's the place you can go. It's not, you know, you don't have to end up in the ED because you OD'd on heroin. You can go reach out to a fellowship and, and, and just, you know, maybe you break leaves on Saturday, but you're doing it with other people and you're meeting people and you're you're out breathing the air in nature and you're not shooting heroin <laughs> and, and again that knowledge that someone cares that you're you're not just here to take up space someone mm-hmm. someone cares about you i think that's some of the saddest things i've heard is when people feel like no one cares that they're here or if they or would care if they're not here mm-hmm. um, i remember seeing a gentleman who had a fairly fairly notorious he was well known um in the community past, but you know what? It came close to his end of life, and I was um, privileged enough to be in there in conversation to help him think about hospice, which he accepted. He was fearful. This is a man who was well-feared in this community, and yet at that moment, I and someone else in this organization were able to be there with him to let him be vulnerable and to know we're not here about your past. Mm-hmm. We want to take care of you, who you are now. And mm-hmm. he ended up uh, being able to be taken care of by a local hospice and they took good care of him and he was honored as a human being. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's good work. Again, it's easy to do that with folks who you, who uh, you think, think just like you and, you know, mm-hmm. and they share your values, but um, maybe our best work is when we can, share with folks who've had different trajectories. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also recognizing that there's this moment right now and then there's tomorrow. Yeah. And that, you know, when is, you know, the best time to make whatever change or growth yeah. happen is right now. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, you know, people with that kind of nihilistic viewpoint that don't have faith that just say, oh, we're just, meet here on this spinning ball and and it's burning up and we're all screwed and you know what's the point you know and i think yeah, that doesn't give me solace that's not a view some you know I've, I've talked to people who feel like that gives them solace i'll be frank with you uh, i'm one of those folks who who seeks greater meaning yeah. yeah well no i mean i and i i judge people too every day i mean when i see someone drive down the road i live on and mm-hmm. chuck their fast food bag out the window i'm like 
they're not they're only in it for themselves yeah. you know and and they need help and i would like to share some sort of message that says that right there is just sowing discord i mean it's a it's a horrible act i think to to just to to show that disrespect for your environment um just you know environment what is it the the broken window uh theory yes Yes. You know, I was thinking about that. Someone dumped a mattress out in our in our neighborhood. You know, you're not supposed to do that until bulky item pick up um, or have it hauled away. And, and so, someone dumped a mattress. And I was just thinking about that. You know, if that's left out there long enough, there's going to be another mattress. Yeah. And there's going to be a, an old beat up chair and then a carpet and, you know, that that type of thing. So just by that one little act of someone tossing that bag out the window. That's that irresponsibility that you were you were talking about earlier. Right. I mean, yeah. With power comes responsibility. Well, they had the power not to do that to begin with. Right. It was an irresponsible action. Yeah. So I mean, it just and I guess the point is, it just starts with little things like that, and 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 just not doing that is change is is yeah. is improvement, and then you work. You know, you find your baseline, and then you work to improve that. I guess. So one of the things that I see that gives me. Me hope, and I'm a natural pessimist, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, like my wife says that uh, not only is the glass half empty, what's left has gone bad. <laughs> but but is that that younger people tend to see stewardship of creation and and spirituality as as uh, together, mm-hmm. whereas somehow many of us. Uh, you know, seem to have, have tried to divorce those things, but they yeah. see t- taking care of the earth yeah, as an it? important part. I mean, it's, you know, I, again, with uh, that's that power, that power and responsibility thing. We were given, quote, dominion over the earth, but it came with responsibility. It didn't mean we can trash the place up. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think younger people get that better. Yeah, I think that's the blowback that's that the young, the was it the climate strike movement has gotten from the older generations. It's like these kids are saying their childhood's been destroyed and, you know, they're passionate about it and maybe their message is, is a little bit nihilistic. But I think I think you're right. If 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 they see creation, the environment as as sacred yeah the great gift we were given yeah yeah and then i think i think that leads more people to want to want to take care of it yeah and and yeah don't throw your trash out people (laughs) so yeah so my challenge each day is to try to find the holy and something that would otherwise be just ugly Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a struggle you know and sometimes i forget to do it but that's something i try to remind myself is where where where's the holy in this moment? Well, I, that's what I got from the Methodist Church was the fellowship and grace, and that's the grace part, isn't it? Yeah. Like, um, you know, I see political discussions on social media, and it's ugly. It can get real ugly, and people unfriend people who've known each other for years, and they'll just I can't with you anymore. And yeah. it's like, um, you know, everyone's got something valuable to add, and when we just judge them by one binary piece that doesn't fit with ours, um, I think we show a lot of lack of grace. And I think I think grace is something that, that we can uh, have more of and and, and, and and grant that to others who don't see, you know, see things the way we do and, you know, the same as we do and maybe look different and act different and worship different things. But but I think grace is is isn't is not owned by any particular religion either. Yeah, I've certainly learned a lot from people of other religions, uh, unexpected. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, in my attempt to be um, open and, and pastoral to them, 
learned, you know, learned great things. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, wrestled uh, more frequently with people who say they're the same religion as me, but we believe totally different things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the, isn't it? Uh, to me, that's, that's kind of been a paradox is yeah. I assumed that running into religions that I wasn't aware of would be the struggle for me. Yeah. No, I actually, I'm usually fascinated. And, and of course, want to make sure that whatever that is supports them. And, and, you know, just as a way of stating what may be the obvious, hospital chaplains do not work to change the religion of anyone because that's what's holding them together. And it's not a fair, you know, it's, it's not a fair space to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you come see me, if, if, if uh, I'm preaching somewhere else, that's a different story, <laughs> but uh, which and I'm rarely asked to preach, but yeah. um, you know, for, for reasons that would be obvious had you heard me do a sermon, but um it is amazing how I'll think, well, that's not my belief system, but wow, that is, you know, that is, that actually is pretty congruent with my belief system. And next thing I know, I realize that there's a lot more in common than you might have expected had you listened to the news. Right. Well, I think there's some, um, you know, in the secular society, I think that there's more religion than people oh, yeah. want to recognize. And, 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 you know, it's the, Jiminy Cricket singing Wish Upon a Star. You know, what does that star represent? Something greater than yeah. you, you know, and, and that's a message of religion that people don't realize that that's there. And then when people say, My goodness, you know, or or, you know, cuss G D, you know, it's like you're referencing something there, you know. <laughs> whether you believe it or not. Whether you believe it or not. It is a fascinating phenomenon to, phenomenon to me. And, and I don't see as many patients as a chaplain as I used to, actually. Um, I, I, I carry a cup of coffee around a lot these days. <laughs> but what I would find is people who would say, I haven't been religious for 40 years. But, you know, when I had this heart attack, I could hear my Sunday school teacher talking to me. There is something about that root basis of, of religion that, you know, can be helpful. Unfortunately, sometimes that voice is not, not a good one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we have people who decide that God broke their leg or, you know, uh, those things. And, and um, again, if that's something that, that patients subscribe to and it works for them, that's well. But we, we've seen some pretty harmful applications of that as well from outsiders telling people, mm-hmm. well, the reason you have cancer is you must have done something. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is, it's the intrusion of uh, theology that belongs to someone else onto a patient who wasn't thinking that way to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so try to wrap things up here. What uh, advice would you give to a young budding health career? I mean, yeah, a health student that wants to have a career in the healthcare field that also has um, an interest in, in topics of religion and faith. Um, Any, first off, don't be, don't be afraid to try to find, People who uh, not only are like-minded, but others who who aren't, um, don't be afraid to talk about your feelings. Find someone in your life who's trusted that you can be honest with. Uh, that may not be the person who's who's teaching you or supervising you, but you need to be able to to uh, expound on what your feelings are. Another is is a spiritual practice that might not be so evident, and that is have friends that aren't in medicine. Uh, it is amazing how many police officers I run into, and their only friends are other police officers mm-hmm. or physicians, and their only friends are other f- physicians, nurses, etc. That's not a healthy life. It's not a balanced life. Mm-hmm. And to 
create a way where you can at least turn off some of who you are at work and just be. I also think spiritual, a great spiritual practice is to learn to have fun. We have downplayed fun and 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 uh, just free unencumbered time in a way mm-hmm. that is hurtful to who we are as spiritual beings in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I was talking to my son yesterday, sitting right across from me, like you are, and um, I was just asking him about what life in seventh grade is like, and then, you know, he talked about what he did after school, and we live between the school and the playground, and I said, do you ever stop at the playground? He goes, I still love to swing, you know, and I just love that because there's so many there's so much pressure for a 13-year-old to become a young man, you know, with all the hormonal things that are happening and all the, I guess, you know, just the expectations that society puts right. out there. And yet he just, his face lit up when he said, you know, I'd love to swing. And it just, and I was like, yes, you're still a kid. So keep that. And I think that's what you said there is right. We, we, we often lose sight of the value of play. And, and I think God intended for us to enjoy this journey as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that doesn't work. There are people who think, it needs to be as austere a life as possible. Mm. Um, that sounds like pure drudgery. To me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's giving yourself grace yeah. when you go out and do something you enjoy, and that, that's part of health too. I think just there are ways to be active and be healthy that don't involve you know, going to the gym, which can be an intimidating mm-hmm. place, or or whatever. But to you know, just go do something that you used to enjoy as a kid and see. Well, number one, can you still do it? And if you can't, could you? And maybe that's a motivation motivation motivating factor for you to to get yourself healthier so you can sit in the swing and and feel that feeling again or or whatever it is go down the slide so anyway well i appreciate you coming oh i I appreciate the invitation and where can people find more about faith health Um, they can find more about faith health on our website which is faithhealthnc.org i hope i'm doing that one right (laughs) uh we're also available through the the hospital website and um you know we have uh, folks who are who have information they can put out but that website actually has a variety of information about what faith health is and and the philosophy behind it and and its history yeah and i got to plug northwest ahec Ah, programs northwestahec.org we do have programs on compassion fatigue and provider burnout some of the things that we talked about today so i've been lucky i actually have been blessed to work with northwest ahec on many occasions Mm -hmm. including an all-day spirituality and health conference that we did together and and you know i I uh, uh, just appreciate very much uh, your folks who've invited me to talk a lot about end of life as well. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, sir. Bye.